All right, hello and welcome to the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo. With me today is Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk and esteemed guest, Brantley Palmer. Brantley, Woo. welcome back. Oh, thanks for calling me an esteemed guest. That felt good. I spent most of the week thinking about <laughs> how I should intro you, and I, 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 I settled on esteemed. I thought that oh. was probably the most appropriate. You yeah, thought, yeah, I thought like of that, that most of the week? <laughs> you know he's got nothing else to do. <laughs> you should see all the notes I have. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it would be something like from the twisted mind of Brantley Palm, you know, something like that. Given Ch- Chapin should have introed this. Okay, I like how that took him two seconds to think of. I spent the whole week. Well, uh, we are going to discuss all four of us uh, another film from 1999 this week, and being that it is October, spooky month that it is, we are going to discuss. The Blair Witch Project, uh, released in 1999 after uh, being produced at a mere $60,000 budget and grossing almost $250 million. And then after that, uh, we're going to get into uh, a discussion based on an email that we received. And uh, I'll get into a little bit more of that when we get to it, but it has a lot to do with why Brantley is here with us today. Uh, no top five this week. We've got plenty to talk about uh, and uh, plenty of mouths to feed here with uh, the four of us, so it should take up most of our time. And I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault, because it was my project. of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, a um, few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? I am so scared. All right, gentlemen, we have uh, discussed some amazing movies from 1999 so far this year. The Insider, Three Kings, The Matrix, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, We've talked about Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Um, Yeah, we talked about American Beauty. Uh, We've also talked about some movies that aren't so great, like Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. And then there's an endless list. I was looking through the list of 1999 movies again today and just sort of amazed at how many movies came out that year. Some really great ones that we haven't even mentioned. Jeremy, one of your favorites of all time, I don't know if you realize, came out in 1999, The Boondock Saints. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Did it really come out that yeah. year? No. no. Uh, <laughs> so Jer- Jeremy says no get longer Brantley. is this the best year of 19. 19- yeah, we should get Brantley on that podcast. <laughs> yeah. My, my um, opinion has changed since originally. I would it. hope Long so. Long while ago. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So all that having been said, I don't think uh, back in 1999 we could have ever predicted um, that we'd be here 20 years later talking about this $60,000 indie horror movie, uh, The Blair Witch Project. Um, The movie went on to to make uh, just about $250 million worldwide, basically 4,000 times its budget, um, which has to be, and I, I looked around and there's some conflicting figures depending on which website you land on but it has to be one of the most profitable movies ever made yeah yes but can we add an asterisk to that sure well because they you know like they it was sixty thousand dollars when they bought it but then they put a ton of money into it and they spent you know 25 million dollars marketing it sure right <clears throat> but, but yeah your fine, point is but, well taken but the 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 production of the movie was very low and the the um income was very high um but that aside, it's become a huge influence, um, particularly in its style, the found footage technique. Sure. Uh, we've, we've certainly seen hundreds of movies do that since. I don't know that – I've heard that – I've never seen anything, but I know that um, this wasn't the first movie to do it, but it's certainly the one that really kind of put that style on the map. Um, yeah. For better or worse, we've seen a ton of those movies ever, ever since. So um, – you know, I'm tr- I was thinking about kind of all these factors. So, you know, a profitable movie check, influential check. Um, it was very effective at the time. And 
you know, in particular, people thought that this was a real documentary, real found footage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to think about what whether or not this type of thing would be possible anymore. And, you know, I compared it a little bit to Jaws, where people were afraid to go in the water after seeing Jaws. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, people see a movie like this and think it's actually real. Is that possible? Can we do that anymore? I know there was no. the, the <laughs> not too long ago, the... Um, the Casey Affleck, Joaquin Phoenix thing where, you know, he gave up acting and people thought that was real, but it wasn't. But that doesn't really feel like the same thing. I think I think the way that the Internet Internet is now would would kill that. I mean, this movie wouldn't be able to come out now because of the Internet, because literally one screening so, or one person goes, yeah, it's fake. And then that's it. Okay, but go, wait, Wait a second. I mean, you're, some people did think it was real, but I think that, I mean, when I saw it in theaters in 1999, Ooh. I knew it was not real. Aren't you special? No, I was. Come on, we all. I knew thought that. there was, was a on the no. Cover of I Time thought there Magazine. was part of it that could have been like I was a little bit in between there I was like it's not really real or is this partly or did it happen and they're recreating it like that sort of thing when I first saw it back in 1999 was in the back of my mind there was a doubt there was at least a seed of doubt implanted there and which makes it a hell of a lot more effective than watching it you know 20 years later uh on a big screen tv uh, knowing what you know, I think. Mm-hmm. So I watched a, a Library of Congress interview that they had a couple of years ago with the uh, the makers of this movie, and they 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 kind of made an interesting point about how easy it would actually be now to convince people that it's real. I mean, the way the same way that you know, quote unquote, fake news is spread. That you just make a you link it to something else that links to something else that links to something else. And, yeah. and you know, just as easy as it would be for someone to say it's fake on the internet and that to spread, it would be just as easy for someone else to say the contrary. And I'm not necessarily even asking just specifically, can you make a, mo- a documentary that people think is real? I'm really kind of thinking broader scope. Can you make a movie so effective as to convince people that it's something that it's not. Well, okay. Well, I, 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 yeah. I would like to hear Brantley's thoughts on this because he is on this podcast right now because he's well versed in in uh, horror than we are certainly. But okay, I I did have this thought that I looked up sort of the found footage phenomenon, you know, after this film had come out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you know, with the exception of Paranormal Activity, there hasn't been a lot that has kind of, you know resonated with the with the audiences at least at least in a way that's like you know meaningful with critics or the, it, it, you know it's culturally i mean p- plenty of right. films have done well successfully with that but um it 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 does seem interesting like i was thinking about the context of these filmmakers you know going out in the woods with a digital camera and a and a 60 millimeter camera and it was very like you know early 90s which is when the film is set and I was thinking like how much easier that would be to do now. I mean, you could go out there with your iPhones or you could go out there with, you know, two GoPros or something and you know, like you could you could you could make such a you know, our our tools are so much more prevalent now and and digital video is everywhere. Like there's if if an incident happens now that's newsworthy, it's uh, it's unlikely that it hasn't been filmed. You know what I mean? Like we're always looking for the videos of these horrific events that happen in the news because everybody's got a camera on their phone and it's just to me I was a little disappointed that we hadn't done more with that phenomenon in a way that resonates culturally like god everybody's got a a camera on their phone now why are we not having why hasn't film why haven't we told a story where that's like a huge where that's a factor in the in the story similar to the way uh sort of independent filmmaking is a factor in the blair witch project all right so i'm gonna say one thing and then let brantley sort of uh comment on all our all our ideas and i think for this to work, no matter kind of when it was made, it it can't it can't have that that cheat moment. It can't have that moment where you're like, ah, that's how they're figuring this out to keep filming. Right. Um, that's what this does actually pretty well. Uh, so I think that's 
in order for any of these sort of found footage to work, you have to be able to figure out the excuse of why you're filming all the time or why there's a camera there all the time. And if you can't have, if you can do it without that sort of cheat moment, then it can work. It's very, very difficult to do. And I think this, this movie, for the most part, pulls it off pretty well. Brantley. Yeah, Jeremy, you almost took the words right out of my mouth. Because one of the questions that I was going to kind of bring up when we talk about found footage is, you know, every any movie we watch, regardless of genre, has a certain level of suspension of disbelief. But I've always felt that the found footage subgenre within horror has like this added layer of suspension of disbelief where I have to somehow get past the idea that they just happen to have the camera on and audio rolling and stuff during these specific moments and it just happens to all work out and they quote unquote get whatever on camera or they don't but it's like the camera's off to the side and like you're not sure what's going on in front of the character etc. And it just is like... That's an added level that's very difficult to get past for me. And Which I agree you, with it, you, It's Jeremy. almost opposite. It's like the suspension of belief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I would agree with you. I think for the most part, this film does a pretty good job of like, you know, because they cut in and out so much, I think, they did a good job of like, oh, we're just picking this up the next morning when they're having a fight or we're just picking it up at da 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 da. And for the most part, they did a really good job with it, which a lot of the ones that followed, I don't think did. Yeah. I'm looking at the Blair, Witch, which came out in 2016, which I think is the second of two sequels. Um, yeah. And got a 47 on Metacritic. And it looks, it looks like from the stills, I can see on IMDb that it's exactly what I just described. Um, <laughs> But Brantley, I have a question for you. When I was watching this, I was thinking about you and, and how passionate you are about the genre per your email. Um, mm-hmm. But to like to to you, like as a real horror fan, is this? And I guess you don't necessarily need to speak to uh, Blair Witch Project right now. But is this kind of film like a little bit of a cheat? Like I was thinking, like a genre that I love. If I if 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 they had done something like this to in that genre, I would feel. I don't know, maybe a little cheated. I don't know that I would, I would, I might have a little bit of a resentment to that. Yeah. I don't know if I consider it a cheat, but I do think that there is, there's certainly a lot of pros and cons for doing the found footage. It's easy. You know, you can use digital. The audience is more forgiving of poor video and audio quality, um, things of that nature. Um, But at the same time, you, you have that added level of, suspension of disbelief or suspension of, dis- of belief whatever we want to call it that you have to you have to write the story well enough that it makes sense that right. they're constantly shooting and so I, I think the only way so I don't consider it a cheat I think it's it's a valid I guess subgenre it's just not one that I'm a huge fan of and it's it's hard to get past for me so all that being said of what like your criteria of what it needs to be to be good. Do you, is this movie effective in, in your opinion? Um, I think this movie is effective if you're scared of the woods or you're scared of witches. Um, really? I think so you think it comes down to scare ultimately? Well, no, no, no. I, I think from a filmmaking perspective, I think they succeeded in doing certain specific things. I think they made this film feel very claustrophobic uh, which is a challenge when you're out in the woods most of the time. Um, and I and I think it's like a credit to whether it was, I don't know if it was, I think it was these actual like actors that were rolling the cameras and rolling during the filming, I think. Because um, I, I, I don't those, know this. Those specific. people are dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, but yes, but, there was that the actors were handling the cameras. They had to sort of give them like a film school 101. Um, yes. To make and, sure and, that it at least was watchable. Yeah, and, and I actually think that, surprisingly, it, it did a really... They did a good job of that, and I think so much of it is because they're in each other's face all the time, so the camera's generally on a character, and you don't know, like, you believe maybe there could be something just past the tree line that you're not seeing in the background. Um, and then a lot of it's, like, when it's either really dark at night, so you don't know, like, what's right in front of you in front of the camera, or uh, they're inside the tent or inside the house towards the end. Um, where it feels very claustrophobic as well. So I think it succeeds in like that element and certain, um, I guess, scare tactics. Um, as an entire film, I, I, you know, I don't know if it really succeeds as like a, a great horror film. I think it was a great marketing campaign and uh, 
uh, a good um yeah gosh what's a, a good little you know witch kind of horror experience but i don't think it, it succeeds as a film entirely if that makes sense so i mean why, i think why not um I, I just think that there's just like there's very little here you know like you know it's an 80 minute movie and i don't think we we know like nothing about these characters essentially we except that um uh, the woman what's i'm blanking on the woman's name heather it's josh heather, heather thank you. you heather's the director and a film student and uh it was it josh uh josh you know and mike, has, yeah josh and mike josh has to return the camera mike has to return the dat uh and you know josh has a girlfriend and they and mike has a job waiting for him and mike's a little bit of a hothead and josh like breaks down and that's like it like so it's just like i have no investment in them yeah because there there's nothing there um to really make me buy in and i think that you know if i'm gonna really appreciate a film and be invested in i need to like be bought into the characters and i just wasn't here I read a review, Brantley, that said something similar to that, basically, you know, saying that, you know, the shaky camera work and fuzzy images gets old. And then after that, you don't have you don't have developed characters. You've got a limited plot. And Mm -hmm. I read that and I sort of thought, like, who gives a shit? Like, I I, I really did. And I mean, it's it's interesting. We might be on opposite sides of a horror film here, but. I just found that that stuff was not important here. I mean, the the important aspects okay. of this movie was was its effectiveness and whether or not you felt that claustrophobia, whether or not you felt like this was a real thing happening. I don't really think I I don't think it really matters, you know, who how deep you learn about these characters, and then even more specifically, you know, there's all this mythology about the Blair Witch and like that spawns sequels and articles and things like that. And I also think that that's a little bit unnecessary. I I think they do yeah. a good job in not getting into that. They barely get into that in the movie. They don't. Yeah. And I actually and <clears throat> and I think we'll get into it a little bit later. I think that does because they don't get into it too much. It does cause a little bit of an issue with the film. But basically, it's all that stuff is secondary to me. This movie is about the the realism and the effectiveness of of the found footage this is so I'm, excuse me kind of in between you guys i think it 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 does uh, this movie does a really good job of playing on your senses it knows it knows kind of how you like experience a movie mm-hmm. um so it does a good job of using sound to freak you out uh to put you to, to have you empathize with the characters, uh, you know, using sort of a point of view, like <clears throat> at a really basic level, it, it does a good job with that sort of thing. Where <clears throat> I think it kind of fails is with the character development is not necessarily that I needed more character development. I just didn't need sort of repeat character development and i felt like yeah. there was a lot of sort of repeat scenes a lot of <laughs> that was a complete last couple week. weeks in a row yeah <laughs> yeah well it's true because it, it takes you out of the movie a little bit i agree when every time they're just like what the fuck are we doing here man like what are we doing here i can't believe what the fuck is happening and it's mm-hmm. just like you did that two days ago and you did that yesterday and you're doing <clears> it today so i mm-hmm. <clears throat> i needed some sort of it didn't have to be much but i needed it to to, to build a little bit off of that. I needed the, the character development to go a little bit... I, I needed to see some sort of arc. It didn't have to be much, just not the same, what the fuck's happening? We're like That sort of sort of thing. I disagree. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that stuff was... It just made it seem so realistic. I think you... I, I was reading some of the <clears throat> IMDb trivia and... They they had a lot of that stuff in there, Jeremy. I think there was some some more sort of traditional character development, um, and they took it out because I think. I Which, mean, I think it's fine. I just don't need the same. Like, I, I, maybe it's like my own bias, but I, once once characters start sort of uh, waffling in the middle uh, and, and just doing the what the fuck, what are we gonna do? <clears throat> That sort of thing, I, yeah. I get. I start feeling like it's it's bad acting, and we're taken out of it. I understand that, but yeah. but what I think is, 
important about what they do here is that it, it shows you like to me that's a very realistic way of human beings responding to to stress is that and especially because there's three of them um they what you know two of them are kind of fighting and then one of them is trying to play the peacekeeper and that and 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 heather's role as the leader makes her sort of subjected subjected to a lot more criticism and there's the thing with the map and so they they kind of like switch roles which to me was one interesting but also very realistic in how human beings kind of deal with the deal with these situations and i think um i think that 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 i, I thought that that was well done i think anything else if you if you if they went farther with what you're saying jeremy i think you, we would have been like bullshit you would have immediately you know they would have needed another camera yeah because ba- basically no i'm like seriously like they're just alone in the woods they can only do what's around like because they have stuck with the rules that they've created with just these two cameras which i think they they were smart in the way they set that up they at least allowed themselves to have two but that's all they have so we can only see what is going around within the like within the you know 10 feet of where they're all standing so to develop anything else to give them anything else besides the what the fuck are we going to do right means you have to have a, a a third party or something else needs to happen or like you need to see what is unseen in this movie i mean what's kind of brilliant and it, it annoyed me at times but it's actually brilliant is like these times when they're like seeing something or they're hearing something we don't ever hear it like you're like when they wake up at night and being like we heard that last night like i barely ever heard those things and i think that was kind of smart about how they just made that those things really subtle and kept everything in yeah, that I tent think, or in that I campsite i think their sound design was great and i also think it yeah. was brilliant a la jaws never to show uh, yeah and i think the, that was a, the an scary influence. character um so, yeah. but that's my point is that just if you leave that campsite or you leave where they are in the woods for the purpose of trying to give some sort of character arc, then you're abandoning saying, the rules that you've created and you don't have at, the... I don't want them to leave the campsite and I don't want them to like have a, a third camera watching them. I just didn't need the same sort of scene over and over again. I mean, honestly, I think yeah. the only way that that would have happened here is a shorter movie, which maybe wouldn't have been a bad thing. Not that this is a long well, movie, see, but I, I see. I'm going to kind of push a little bit against that because I, I think some of the best stuff that they had with these characters was towards the end when they're starting to break down, especially after Josh yeah, has I disappeared, agree. and then Heather and Mike are just like, like they have they're they have no idea what to do. They're lost, not just like in the woods, but just like. Uh, like at their wits end about like how do they, do they l- try to leave when Josh isn't there like would they be leaving him behind that sort of thing and that was all different that we hadn't seen before it wasn't the seventh fight about the map uh, over and over again it was this new stuff that was telling us more about these characters and that was the stuff I really bought into yeah, so I'm with I Jerry on this I thought that was good yeah. too and it took a little bit too long to get to some of that stuff honestly I think um, yeah so since we're talking about this, I have two two questions for you. Um, what did you guys think about the acting in this? Because I I, I feel like at the time the acting didn't get enough credit, uh, mm-hmm. be, at, at, just as far as making this movie what it is. Because for some reason there's this idea where if you're just using sort of found footage, you're not really I don't know maybe acting. Um, and then my second question is well, Heather's it real, character. It was a real found footage. It was fake. What? No, are that's you kidding point. me? Like you're, you don't. No, these people you're are ruining the illusion for Jeremy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, but in that sort of yeah genre of pretend found footage, um, and then uh, Heather's character. What what did you guys think of her? Because I apparently I, I was reading some stuff. I apparently totally misread it. What do you mean? Yeah. So a what lot of people thought she was a like she was uh, obnoxious, or it was her fault, or for her to be to be blamed for all the like for well, for she sort admits of that. <laughs> yeah, but I okay. I'll tell you how I read it. Um, so I. Like, I read it as she was just driven. She wants to get this film done, and I had no problem with that. And I also read it as she knew what she was doing the whole time. 
Like she did know how to use the map and she did know how to use the compass. The I I interpret it as it was the Blair Witch that sort of kept them in that area. Like yeah, it was no, supernatural I, I, powers yeah, I think that that's did the it. Case. I think that is okay, the case. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, I think you're spot on, Jeremy. Oh, because a lot of other people that I, I read just thought she was like incompetent. She was just too much about the movie, the documentary. It was the woman, as usual. Yeah, and that yeah. she didn't actually know how to read the map or read <laughs> wait, the compass. Wait a minute, it wasn't, but it wasn't that woman. It was the other woman, the witch. The witch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I read it as I guess we're yeah. Like, oh, that on the same that page leads there. to an interesting yeah, yeah. point, though. Okay, because like they are constantly. I mean, talk about repeat scenes. They are constantly chiding her for still filming. You know, and th- it adds to some really yes. tense moments when she's. Especially when, like, when they when they discover all the little wooden figurines, and they're like, "Come on, let's leave," and she like won't stop filming them. And I think that that, that we've kind of stumbled on an interesting point, especially when we were talking addressing your first question, Lee, which is that I think nowadays, if those were real people in the age of like finding of you know getting that celebrity picture or or f- capturing that incredible moment on your phone, like nobody that question would never come up everybody would be they'd all be filming the the entire time and understand the value of it um and i think that that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition between that and you know what life was like when this film came out and was set the acting i actually think is really good i mean i don't know how you can say otherwise if you were if 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 in 1999 you were convinced by this movie, then you can't then say that the acting wasn't good. And I right. don't know if that was the case, but the, all their their purpose was to make this seem like it was real, just the same way as the way that they shot it was. So I think it was totally effective. They were all they were all really good. I mean, I I don't even feel like there's any reason to like nitpick and say like, oh well, in that one scene he didn't seem as realistic when he was delivering the line like it wasn't real there wasn't even any of that like it's just they seemed like three people lost in the woods i was kind of blown away by how realistic they seemed the entire time like yeah i don't think there was ever a moment when you start to doubt them i agree i mean one of one advantage i think of the found footage thing is that you're never i mean there are many close-ups but like you aren't necessarily um, married to you know your sort of co- traditional coverage, right? Like you get a lot of, a lot of especially Heather's more um, emotional moments are from behind the camera. I mean, obviously that one that we shared that's so famous where she's got the camera locked down and is you only see part of her face is is a standout. But there are times like especially at the end when she's like screaming and having these emotions and she's. Uh, you know, just running, running one of the cameras. And so I think that probably helps. I mean, I don't, I, my guess is, can, you know, the sort of the way this film was made is, you know, quite famous and, and, and uh, sort of legendary. But for, if, if we're to believe that, you know, they didn't have the option to go, Oh, just cut. Well, let's not, let's not use that close up Cause he's ineffective, you know, like they, they didn't really have the chance to do that. They had to sort of use what they got. Right. So evidently, yeah, and I think they, that actually. No, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I guess they had uh, their their original idea was not to put it together the way that it ended up. I guess it was supposed to be more of like a back and forth, um, like a documentary about the found footage. Um, but then they basically, when they had everything assembled and put together and like figured out what they had and what was good, they decided to just play it, <clears throat> play it chronologically. And I thought maybe that would explain that there were times that you guys noticed there's some like unprovoked jump cuts that sure. like didn't make sense. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just they stopped the camera and then picked up the conversation later. The c- camera cut and it just then right in that same conversation kept going, which why would it have done that? Which took away from the realism a little bit. But maybe that the explanation for that was just kind of how they originally planned to assemble it. But there was so few of that, like you said, so little of that, like you said, Chapin, that, you know, the acting, the camera work, nothing took you out of the realism of this movie. So I'm going to point out one thing that does, and I think it's kind of ties into what you said, Chapin, in terms of, uh, you, you know, you get what you have and you got to use it. Um, because I think this was such like an improvised 
you know, film and it's found footage and they're sure. doing, you know, they're off on their own doing this in the woods and the filmmakers just get the footage at the end. Um, there were a couple times where, you know, like they're the one specifically where um, they're on their way back and they're asking why they're going a different way. And it's like, it's, it's like, you can tell she's trying to improvise and think of a reason. And it just, that like kind of took me out for a minute because she's like, well, you know, we had to come in a curve and they're like, what, what are you talking? And she's like, well, you know, we had to hit the two locations. So then we had to come in a curve and it like, it takes a little while to get there. And it just felt like, you know, maybe I'm, maybe that wasn't the case, but it just felt like she was like fumbling and trying to find a reason because it was improvised. And they're like, oh, well, we got to use this. And then that like took me out. Because See, they're just using what they have. That's what I like. I, I'm sure that if I went back and watched it again today, I would find scenes like that that are like, okay. When, like, when did you watch wait, it? Wait, what do you mean? When did you watch it last? Why do you guys always have a hard time with this? Like, <laughs> I watched it I watched it two nights ago. But now that we're talking about it and trying to <laughs> trying to pinpoint. But if I saw it today. Oh, my God. this You guys always seem to have a hard time with me saying, like, okay, even though I just watched it, if I were to revisit it again two days later, fresh in my mind, I would be able mm-hmm. to find some – I would be able to pinpoint some times where I said, okay, maybe the acting there takes you out a little bit or maybe this takes you out. But watching it, watching it two days ago for the first time in 20 years, none of that caught my attention. None of that bothered me. See, that's, I I think, what I was kind of saying with some of my repeat scenes and what took me out of it a little bit on that was just, like, I know if somebody, you know, if I was in those roles and I I got to a point where I didn't know what to say or I was stumbling, my, my reaction would just be to either, like, sort of keep yelling and saying, what the fuck? And then, like, that's how I would, in, that's sort of how I interpret it as the actors doing it. And that You'd also never out. get lost in the woods. So it's Obviously hard. Not. It's hard for I know you how to, to use a compass, unlike <laughs> yeah. that bitch. He got lost <laughs> on a river floating down Jeez. a shallow 18 inch river. Yeah. That with other true. people that he had to follow. Yeah. With like and the river was only going, people. only going one way. Yeah. My uh, farts <laughs> took me upstream. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, I feel like Lee and I are on one side and Jeremy and Rentley are on the other. I mean, I think we're really underselling this movie. I mean, like, listen, like, we have to, you have to take one thing. We have to establish one thing that this movie is what it is. It's it's not going to be something profound. It's not, it's, you know, we, we you, you can't expect... A, a ton from it, just given the 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 way the form is, and I understand Brantley your feelings about you know not feeling connected to these characters, and I'd love you to share a, a horror film where that's done better. Um, but I I just think we are really selling this this film short, and I mean, I think you know it 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 all comes down to the concept, um, and a lot of times we've we've discussed on this podcast, and and I've been critical of high concept sort of gimmicky films. Um, but I think this one is so effective and I think you can kind of tell the careers of the two directors and writers who have done very little since making this film. You know, it's like, this was kind of a one in the life, one in a lifetime achievements. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was very effective for the most part, but I also think it was, for me, more effective in, like, a basement on a small TV back in 1999 um, where I didn't 100% know what part of it wasn't real. Like, to me, like to me, that's where it's I, most effective. Now watching it, I'm just impressed with how, with the filmmaking and how they were able to sort of utilize this found footage idea and keep it going. I mean, I think there's even a line in the movie where he says, where he's looking, Josh is looking through the camera at Heather and he kind of almost explains to us, and I didn't think it was like too on the nose, but he kind of explains to us why they are filming in a way because he's like, I get why you like this camera because it sort of filters the reality. It makes it so that none of this is real so you you understand their need for for them to keep filming because if you're looking through that lens it's not real it's not happening in in part of it like part of your mind um so that was really effective that was really effective the way that they utilize sound was really effective 
the fact that they didn't show the Blair Witch was really effective. Um, a lot of it was really effective. Um, but there were moments that took me out of it, like I said. And I also think that watching it present day on a big TV was a bit disorienting. I thought there was like a little bit too much movement at times mm-hmm. with the camera, um, which is just, you know, a bit hard to concentrate. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of where I landed on this. Yeah, I think it's yeah, a great and, point, and, Jeremy. I totally agree. I mean, it's a it's a perfect. I think this movie is more effective than it is good, and that's not to say it's bad. I think it's I, I in a, in a way those two things kind of go hand in hand with this movie. But you know, I think what you said about watching this movie in a basement on a small TV in 1999 and it having that effect is so important for this movie. We've talked a lot about these 1999 movies standing the test of time and holding up, and this is a little bit different because it has less to do with you know the American beauty story and the, you know, the themes and such from in fight club, but it's just the experience of this movie can't be replicated anymore. And that was sort of where my opening question came from. Um, you just, it's, you know, a little bit of the bottle of wine thing comparison that we use like this, this, when we watched this movie in 1999, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it. I, I I saw it in probably the condition that everybody wanted to see it. I saw it at a at a, a friend's house in high school, you know, with a bunch of other people around and yep, at night, too. you know, and and I think that's that was the perfect time to uncork this bottle, and it will never be the same. It peaked then, and mm-hmm. I, I just think that's what that's what made but this movie so great. But that's not taking anything away from what it did, and and actually how good the filmmaking is essentially like it's not taking anything away from it it's just not like it's not gonna it's not like those other 99 movies where you rewatch them and you're like holy right. crap yep. this still this is still great right yeah and, and i just want to add because i'm actually surprised to see lee and chapin much higher on the film than me but lee i think you put it perfectly it's much it's much more effective than it is good, basically. And I think for, for what the film was trying to do, it does a great job. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from them. And uh, they did a great job uh, in many aspects of the film. And you guys are right. It's lightning in a bottle at one specific time where it hit perfectly. And that's not going to be replicated. Um but I don't. I realize I'm. I just. I'm worried. I'm coming off like too down on the film. <laughs> I. I don't mean to be. I guess is what I'm trying to add here, um, because it. It's good at what it tries to do. Yeah. I also, just a little like added thing. I also like watching it, especially the second half. I was uh, like, what was what was good about the sort of suspense horror part was I. I felt like there could have been a jump scare at any moment. Which never mm. really came. No, it really doesn't. No. Just the end, which isn't really even a jump scare. No, yeah. No. Um, okay, Let's so should we move on? Let's move on to the craft of right. horror filmmaking. So <laughs> we received an email, and we'd like to thank anybody who sends us emails. Um, but in this particular case, the email we loved came... loved so much that we invited them to yeah, the podcast. This email came from Brantley. <laughs> Um, and it's, it was in response to our Midsommar podcast, which uh, he admitted was a little late, but he wanted to see the film before he listened to our, our podcast. One of our most popular so, podcasts. So he did just, well, it's even mm. more popular now because Brantley, listen, we got one more click. <laughs> um, so Yeah, uh, we're up to three views now. <laughs> <laughs> so Brantley... Um, Brantley saw Midsommar, listened to the podcast, and in in that podcast, not only did we talk about the film, but we talked a lot about the horror genre in general. Um, So he went on to just absolutely eviscerate me and any thought I've ever had on the genre. Um, Now, look, uh, for anybody who's... disrespectful, I think, a little bit. Anybody who's listened to the podcast for a long (laughs) time know that uh, Brantley and I have sparred over the horror genre um, and have always sort of been at odds... Uh, with our opinions of it um it would not be possible to go through this whole email but i've highlighted a few key points that i'd like to just read and then perhaps respond to with brantley and then guys i think uh it would be appropriate for you guys to you know chime in if you have thoughts too um 
but in you know in some cases i'd like to defend my my thoughts um and actually in a couple of occasions i i just agree with brant with what brantley had to say went the safe route um but Should the we first pull thing this that email comes up, up would that be helpful or do you oh i've got it i've got it in front of me <laughs> okay um yeah. the first thing i want want to bring up is is so uh chapin and i referenced uh an, in, an interview with ari aster midsummer's director uh and he talks about the movie being in sort of a a horror adjacent genre um and then we sort of stole that term and used it throughout the podcast and i think it was kind of defining the movie as not your typical horror movie maybe not what the typical horror fan expects when they go to a horror movie and um as is his right brantley said that he hates that term uh he described midsommar as a definitive horror film and it fits perfectly into the subgenre of folk horror and real quickly on that point brantley i mean folk horror horror adjacent subgenre you know elevated horror i mean we're just uh, they're all subgenres are they not aren't we just calling it something different and by you you know when you say you hate the horror adjacent or elevated horror i know you're getting to the idea that that's suggesting that other horror films are are inherently lesser than as you wrote but mm-hmm. i think more i think he was describing it as something different within the horror genre and i think maybe we were kind of tackling that in the same respect well he he may absolutely have been and I, you know i'm kind of was inferring kind of my own thoughts about what he may have meant um the term and you guys didn't use it but i mentioned it in the email the term elevated horror which is used often by like critics when they actually see a horror film that they like instead of ones that they tend to just dislike and hate um and so they they go to a term like elevated horror to say oh well you know it's a horror movie but it's good essentially <laughs> um like it has deeper thoughts behind Sounds it than like just me. people being killed <laughs> well and and so it i know that the term horror adjacent was what aster had used in the interview and he may have defin- he may have meant to mean that it's it's something other than a typical horror film maybe but you know, I think in the email I say that it's is him maybe trying to adjust people's expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I bring up the point in the email as well that like horror has more subgenres in it than probably any other genre of film. And yet it's the genre that most people have the most um, set mindset of like what it is. You know, to a lot of people, horror just means like slashers and Freddy and Jason and not all these other crazy amounts of subgenres that uh, exist beneath it so i think the terms horror adjacent and elevated horror are a little different than just the subgenre like a folk horror or slasher so i I do think there's a difference there and i think that it's often used by people who don't like it and are just essentially trying to make it sound like it's um, something better than uh, what the genre tends to pump out which, to a degree, they're kind of right. I mean, like, there are lots of horror movies I dislike and I think are awful. There are some subgenres I don't like uh, very much. Um, torture porn being one and found footage, <laughs> honestly, being another. Which, which I mean, Blair Witch, I think, torture is probably the most porn. effective found footage. You gotta get on board. Footage, but, oh, geez, Kink.com. Just... <laughs> You're not watching but, the but right anyway, ones. So I, I guess not. You send me some links after. Oh, of course. Um one thing you did say that I I totally agree with and I think is a really great point is is basically pointing out that in kind of in the same vein that any time a horror movie comes out that's considered good filmmaking there's a tendency to jump through hoops to say it's something that something that is not really a horror film to call it something else to mm-hmm. call it a thriller or to call it a you know whatever horror adjacent I just and I think that's a great point um, but I do still stand by the idea that with a movie like Midsommar and maybe this, you know, horror adjacent subgenre or whatever, that there, basically we talked about how Midsommar was a type of movie that allowed the director to insert his auteurism and use the horror genre as a vehicle for that to, you know, put asses in the seats, you know, for to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. And I still think that I don't think that that's unfair to say. And I mean, maybe you don't have to call it a horror adjacent genre to do that. But you have to admit that, you know, there are like there are way more shitty horror movies than any other genre. And maybe that's just because the genre is so yeah. big. But 
you know, mm-hmm. so to find, so yes, maybe I'm jumping through hoops to say it's not really a horror film, but I'm not to say that it's something different when a director can insert something more elevated in terms of our tourism. And- no, I, I agree. I think good filmmakers will always insert their auteurism into uh, whatever movie they make, whether it's horror or whatever. And I agree. There are probably more bad horror movies than there are of any other genre. And I think it kind of goes to a point that we I, I mentioned also in the email, which is that horror tends to be the genre that most filmmakers are given a shot in because they're cheap to make and uh, studios or production companies know that there's uh, an a, a, an audience for them no matter how like schlocky or awful they can be so most people whether they're good filmmakers or not often get early chances within the horror genre just because that's where the opportunities are to make a film right and i just think and you and and on that note you know you point out that some of the some of the, our greatest directors you know james cameron ridley scott guillermo del toro peter jackson steven spielberg they all they all in some way shape or form began their careers uh with a horror movie and they you know you list piranha mm-hmm. 2 the spawning bad taste something <laughs> evil like these like shitty movies and i would say like okay mm-hmm. so all right these are good examples of great filmmakers that started in the horror genre but for every one of those there's like 50 shitty directors that we can't even name because all they did was keep making shitty horror movies because they can and i think that's my protest to to the genre sometimes is that those you know those movies, people didn't go see Piranha 2 and be like, wow, I can't wait to see what James Cameron does next. You know, I I, I think it's more, they're just there for the spectacle, they're there to be scared, they're, or whatever it might be. And I just expect more out of movies. Well, no, I, I don't disagree that, you know, the audience is there for the spectacle or the, the experience, right? If we're talking like a movie like Blair Witch, more so than like the, the filmmaking technique. But I think that the reason we see, you know, one great filmmaker for every 50 other bad ones is that there's one great filmmaker for 51 filmmakers, period, yeah, um, whether that's horror or it's any genre. And, you know, honestly, though, if, if you get a chance to direct horror, like maybe you get more chances. If you're a bad director or not very good, maybe you get a chance to keep working within the genre. But you might only direct one horror movie, maybe another one after that. And you know, there's no necessarily <laughs> like the guarantee that those awful filmmakers <laughs> like are Witch still Project. going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, gosh, like I was looking at one of their IMDb's and like they didn't do like another movie for like eight years after that, I think, or something like that. It was quite a while. Although one of them, I think Eduardo Sanchez is really working in TV more than anything now. Um, But anyway, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Reading your email, Brantley, I I had my thought was, are these genre names like is defining a genre useful I mean, in my defense, to distance myself from Lee's awful, disrespectful comments, I want to say um, that, you know, I when I brought that up about, I mean, I led this whole discussion off because I asked the question to Lee. But the, I, think it, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, the film was marketed one way and you go into a film like this, you know, even, even considering the subgenre that you mentioned, um, what is that genre called? The kind of the folk, the folk? Horror. Folk horror, yeah, and <clears throat> mm-hmm. and and I th- I think he still plays with it in a way that is effective. I mean, I know it's important to you and for for us maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent, but like I I I don't I don't think it's disrespectful to defend Lee a little bit to to sort of I mean I I think genre naming genres and subgenres is kind of a exercise in futility it's it's i almost wish right. we didn't have that i almost wish we could we could midsummer could be marketed as the film that it that it was and and we could go see it <clears throat> but to me i so i, I don't know I, I i'm kind of rambling a little bit but, but my i guess my question is you know don't we want filmmakers to kind of think outside the box why do we want to put them in this prism of you're making a horror film or, or this. And, and I don't think you're necessarily saying that. I, but I, I would say that like, I think what, what we were saying in, in, in the beginning of that podcast was that, you know, this guy is, is, is using that to his advantage here. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think he does a great job using that to his advantage. And I think it, to a certain extent, you're right. Like ultimately 
you know, trying to define what is horror, what is a specific subgenre within it can be futile because two people can watch the same film and one thinks it's horror and one thinks it's a thriller or one thinks it's uh, not a horror, right. uh, you know, it's a comedy or something. So it, a lot of that I think is a subjective um, thing. It, you know, genres aren't necessarily objective things that everything falls either into or out of. So I think you're right. Like there, there's obviously some flexibility and that's why there's a lot of, I think, genre bending that goes on. And that's why we have like horror comedies or um, we have uh, horror dramas, which I guess would be more like <laughs> what, what Midsommar was. Um, but I, I think where it becomes an issue is when people intentionally distance themselves from it. And I'm not saying that's what Aster's doing, but when, like someone like say a filmmaker does um take a generic filmmaker he makes a great horror film that is obviously shows his skill as a filmmaker uh and then he's like yeah well it's not really a horror movie and then but that's what allows him to catapult into the next phase of his career or move out of the genre if he doesn't want to but he was successful um because he was made a great film of course but also because if it's marketed a certain way they get those dollars from the fans right from the fans who of horror who went and saw and supported it and allowed him to move on to that next phase so i guess it's sort of like i'm not saying this is what astro's doing but it can be kind of manipulative when someone makes a film that for all intents and purposes is horror but then they'll come out and say well it's not really and yet it still gets to um use the fan base of horror to um, make money or uh, help that director advance on um i guess that's where i kind of uh, might see an issue with it but you're right ultimately i think aster is a great filmmaker regardless of whatever genre he's going to make films in uh you know, now and in the future, I don't think he's trying to, you know, use the horror fan base or anything to, to make his film money. I think he probably doesn't care very much if his film makes money. He cares about making a good film. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, the where I would have trouble is with, you know, someone making a film that is marketed as a horror film, gets the horror film money, but then, you know, they leave it and then try to say, well, it wasn't really a horror movie, even though they was kind of a, it's the manipulative aspects of it that would be more bothersome, I think. So, um, Brantley, you liked Midsommar? Uh, Yes, and here's what I'll say, Lee. You had a great quote in the podcast. You said, I don't know if I like it, but I want to see it again. And I've had, I know exactly what you mean because I've had that feeling about like other movies like Spring Breakers or Under the Skin or Under the Silver Lake where it's like I don't know if I like these right. but I feel like I need to watch it again to like get a sense. But with Midsommar, I was sort of the exact opposite of you. I liked it, but I don't know if I oh, ever need to see it again. <laughs> I mean, I can um, get that too, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you did you like Hereditary more or less than Midsommar? Um, I'd say I liked him about the same. I watched Hereditary while my daughter was sleeping in her room, and I was downstairs in the basement on, like, a weekend. My wife was out of town at a conference, so I was, like, watching a couple horror movies that night. It was actually earlier this year, and it was, like, rough to watch. I mean, you know, knowing what happens in that movie and the fact that I have a daughter and... And this is kind of what I'm getting to about the, the, the the best parts of horror films are ones that have deeper, like, um, subtext and, and meaning behind them and the idea that like if I had multiple children and one causes the death of the other and I'm stuck in a situation where I still love this child but I absolutely hate them for what they did and not knowing how I would be able to cope with that was terrifying yeah it's weird the, um, like visceral reactions you have uh, to movies once you have a kid it's <laughs> yeah you can, Sarah can't watch anything with a child anything bad happening to a child sarah cannot watch it yeah it's hard it's like it's not and you just react differently to it uh than mm -hmm. than you used to than you used to beforehand which is which is understandable obviously but it's interesting (laughs) it's interesting that hereditary was one that you are like oh my god I better get yeah, all my well, uh, child-hurting <laughs> movies in real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You well, hurry it's... up, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like um, someone – oh, it's uh, Pete Holmes, the comedian. Like, he had a kid like a year ago, and uh, in his podcast he was talking about how, like, everyone tells him, oh, like, en- enjoy, like, you know – the time you have now or whatever. And he's like, what they really should say is like, enjoy watching like stolen in plain sight now while you can, because <laughs> once that baby comes, you're not going to be able to enjoy that. Uh, yeah. Now, well, let's let anyway, to watch his torture porn. 
Yeah, really. Well, I, I wanted to kind of... Uh, you bring up Hereditary. I don't remember where you guys fell when you guys reviewed it because that was a little while ago now. What was the what was the consensus from you guys? I so I admired the filmmaking and I hated the ending so badly that it ruined the movie for me. Oh, okay, okay. Because yeah, I just I, felt I, like I, he never earned that ending. It took such a leap that the it, that it was it all it was all for naught. Okay. Yeah, I remember being like very creeped out, but not liking it as a movie yeah I, I, I feel the same way i do have a question for for brantley though <laughs> to kind of go back to our sure the same question I, I i think what i was getting at maybe subconsciously um i also would like to ask you about us but that's 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 another that's probably a, some for another time but um no, no my my th- sort of thinking about Ari Aster and, and Midsommar was that I, I think that there is this and you reference this in your e- in your email where Lee was saying something about you know people don't like to be scared I mean I totally disagree I think people go to movies and, to get the shit scared out of them it's like going on a roller coaster but mm-hmm. to a on a more emotional level and I think that I think that I feel that emotion too I don't think I'm, I'm not above that in any way because I'm a film snob and I think when, the only difference is that when I go, I, I think I appreciate something like that, uh, something a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more innovative, like Blair Witch. Then you know you're sort of your your th- some of the movies that we have been you know lambasting on this podcast. But I think when you, I I I don't think that's what Ari Aster was doing. I don't think any moment of Midsommar is like scary. It's not like you're, you mm. never feel, and it doesn't have to be a jump scare, but there, I don't think any moment in that film is like, it just makes you feel uneasy. You know I mean? Maybe there's a few like, like uh, mm-hmm. when they're in those, in the dark, um, in that library. But I, I do think that that kind of sort of unwritten contract between the audience and director and the filmmaker that, you know, yeah, you're going to pay your, your, your money on a Friday night and, um, or you're going to watch it when your wife's away or whatever your the circumstances are so that you can, you know, really be scared for whatever reason you want to do it. And, and if I could I could see a situation where, you know, like uh, in the case of, of Midsommar, I, I enjoyed it, but it's you know, it it, it, it didn't really scare me in the same in the way that I think I'm discuss- talking about or in a film like us where it's like it was heavily advertised and it looked really freaky and it turned out to be, in my opinion, not a very scary movie or a very in- good metaphor. More funny than scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. I think it, I mean, you know, that kind of goes back to, um, the trying to define genres is almost like trying to define like the feeling we're feeling like you call it uneasiness rather than scared, you know, that sort of thing. And I think it probably works differently for different people. I mean, there I think there were certainly a couple moments where I was like a little freaked out. It, like watching those old people walk to the top of that cliff and then jump off uh, was definitely like, I think, scary. Because I was imagining like uh, myself falling and my legs snapping underneath me when I landed or whatever. Uh, so there was definitely some scares there. But I would agree that it probably is more of like an uneasiness and uh, than, than the typical scares that we uh, generally experience in horror movies although i will say as someone who loves watching horror films i'm very rarely ever scared by that see that's interesting Um, i think that's why that that's what distinguishes you from the sort of the average film goer that that i think lee was was mm -hmm. referencing in his in 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 the podcast can you guys can you guys think like for example of a movie that wouldn't be considered horror but you're you're feeling uneasy in that same sort of way the whole time I guess we didn't prepare for that but like I feel like there are movies that you have that sort of sense of dread and uneasiness um throughout yeah. but wouldn't be considered like a, horror like maybe United 93 for example, mm-hmm. or a Requiem for a Dream was the first oh, thing Yeah, that came Requiem to my for mind. a Dream I don't think any of those would be considered like uh, officially horror movies no. but mm-hmm. there's that sense of uneasiness and edge of your seat for a lot of those yeah i think mm-hmm. that's a great point. Hor- horror adjacent Ooh, yeah careful. so yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> and then like to go back to that thing like every time somebody says anything about it like anytime there's a subgenre, i kind of like internally roll my eyes um 
Okay. Because I don't feel like it's necessary. Like at that point, just describe the movie. Because the whole yeah. point of uh, of saying what kind of genre it is to give a broad sort of stroke of what like if you're like what type of movie it is is really what it is. So once you start getting to uh, you know subgenres and horror adjacent and stuff like that, then it's just like okay, well at that point, why don't you just tell me what the movie's about? Because I don't need to know that. That's interesting because you never hear yeah. subgen you never really hear subgenres of drama. Right, it's just well, drama, and, and, but then and, comedy and, has them. Uh, well, ro- horror ro- has subgenres. Romantic drama is a good way to find um, interesting films on Netflix, like European movies with nudity. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this the actually brings up, a, <laughs> this brings up a great point, and it's something that why I think genre is a little bit important, right? Because. <laughs> No one watches a bad one or two bad drama movies and says, "Ugh, I just hate dramas." Right? But if they watch one or two bad horror films, if they like are just being introduced or something, they're like, "Oh God, I, I hate horror movies." See, I right? I, you mentioned it's, that you mentioned that Brentley, but I think it's more that people like genuinely don't don't like there are some people, a few people out there who just don't like to be scared and are literally too scared right. oh. to see the movies. And people don't like roller yeah, coasters, absolutely. you know. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, like, my, so just take my dad. He hates horror movies. He he never watches them, but he hates them uh, because he went to like a drive in when he was a, a like a teen and like, like It's Alive was playing and was like, oh, no, really? I, I went to the no drive in and scared. I didn't get laid. Never watched a horror movie again. <laughs> And then he like never watched it again, but it's like so he saw like one horror movie that either a scared him too much or he didn't like, and then it's like I hate horror but, movies. But this right? is like so, this is why the genre is so silly. Like that's why why naming a genre is so silly because because you could you know your your dad because it says horror next to it under Netflix or or in your Leonard Maltin movie review book and and you say oh I I write this entire movie off when it could be completely different from They're Alive or whatever that movie was you know like it, it's, it could be Jaws yeah it's it could be Jaws it could be it could be you know it could be anything and and so that's why I think this is such a I mean I horror seems to come under the seems to be a victim to the negative aspects of of genre or labeling a genre or labeling a film a genre more than than anything else because like you said Jeremy like there aren't a lot of like we don't like how would you like some of our favorite movies of the last couple of years like uh, mine the revenant i guess that's a an adventure i guess like mad max that's an action movie i guess i don't know and it's like okay well like who cares that has nothing in that relates nothing to any other action movie and it seems like okay well we're in a we're in a world where we have access to so much content that it seems sort of irrelevant yeah i agree i, I think I, the I, reason I, though that horror movies spawn this kind of you know polarizing reaction is because it has one very specific thing that every single one of them in some way shape or form falls back on and that's to it's its goal to scare people and there might be the other goal of being a good movie there might be another goal of to introduce some you know different types of camera work or to experiment with found footage those are can all be other pieces but the goal of the horror film is to scare people where there isn't that one through line consistent goal with dramas or actions or com I mean I guess comedy right to yeah, make you laugh, that, make you laugh. Yeah, yeah. comedy has that and com- so com- comedy and horror are the two body genres yeah so because they, they create an involuntary reaction in your body so yeah so I think that's that's the piece and and look I <laughs> I should pro- I should be as critical and and I am at times I should be as critical of of comedy as I am of horror because there's just about, you know, 50 shitty comedy comedies out there for every good one, just like I say there is with horror. Um, so, you know, perhaps I'm, you know, talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I love comedies, but I, I don't like when so many movies within a genre come out that are clearly just relying on that one thing and you know, know that they have this piece that's going to scare people and, you know, whatever else they need doesn't matter. It's the same issue I have with the Marvel movies. They have that built-in audience. But then, that, like, you keep just keep saying this movie, that movie, this genre, that, like, at that point, I feel like just let's get rid of genres. Right. I think that's a separate point. I think we can all sort of agree on that. Yeah. Uh, 
I, in, in a and perfect we're gonna make world, it happen, great, obviously. But mar- yeah, but marketing par- departments exist, and they're going to market it as X, Y, or Z, whatever genre they, they think they're going to get butts in the seats for. I mean, I agree. And like on an art, art, on an you know auteur perspective, if every filmmaker could you know make the film they want and describe it how they want, and not bother putting a genre label or anything on it, that'd be great. But I don't think we're ever going to see a world like but that. But I do- would ima- imagine how pretentious that will get, though. I think genres are, are protecting us from that. <laughs> but I do think it has a function in the sense that w- what you identified, which makes me want to ask Brantley even more questions. But like. If you want you want the shit scared, it's like the roller coaster factor. You want to be scared, so you go see this movie. Mm. All right, that'll wrap this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Brantley, for joining us and lending your thoughts on the horror genre. We appreciate it, as always. And uh, send us an email to feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com, and you can come on the podcast and talk about it. Yes, but you have to have uh, a high-quality microphone. <laughs> A a fast internet connection and Skype. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes. So all those criteria plus a good email uh, and you can join us on the podcast. Also check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Like us, write us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. We haven't gotten very many of those, but that would be great. Um, Other than that, thank you guys. We'll talk soon. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee. All right. I love that you just have to write a, like, sternly worded email that attacks Lee, and then you get to be a guest (laughs) on the podcast. It's like uh, negging when you're picking someone up, I guess, right? That's all it takes, folks. And then it'll get you in. Yeah. (laughs)